the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. How are we doing? Okay. Yeah, that's what they said. Brother. I think my thing just fell out of my pocket here in the water bottle. This is my day so far. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Please sit. Yeah. What are you doing? Um, I, you know, this was really good in theory for me to share at my mom's celebration day, but this is a little overwhelming emotionally, so bear with me. This is, uh, thanks Donna for teeing this up. I can barely talk, but this is about my mom who is truly a, an amazing and virtuous woman. And I want to get to her story, but first I want to kind of give a bigger story in which her story, and in fact, all of ours falls. And the thing about story is we all are wired as human beings, and it's deeply, it's part of how God designed us to live by story, to live by narrative. And if you even think about the Word of God, for eons, the Word of God was communicated how? By story, right? There weren't written documents. And so we are designed to think in story. There's a a book called The Hero's Journey, and it, it's about this. It doesn't give the glory to God so much, but it really talks about how we are wired to think in a narrative, and the narratives that really move our hearts all have, have basic components. There's always a hero. There's always a villain. There's a guide to the hero, and most importantly, there's a goal. There is something noble that the hero's journey is really about. The journey is defined by what the hero is trying to get to. And that story, that narrative, defines all of us. All of us are wired and designed by God to have a journey that's defined by the goal. And the thing is, 
in, in the Christian world, the theology of Christianity has for about 400 years defined that goal as basically something that Christ did for us. He died for us. He took care of our sins. And when we die, we get to do what? Go to heaven. Go to heaven, right? Go somewhere to be something. To do what? Does anybody have clarity with regard to some ethereal place in an existence we can't imagine doing things we don't even know? Is that, in your mind, a firm goal that's going to compel the hero's journey? I don't think so. But the good news is that's not the biblical story. The biblical story is quite different. And that starts in Genesis 1. In the Genesis 1, the very first verse, who knows the first verse in the Bible? Come on, what's it say? Isn't that amazing? So in that first verse, we learn what? A, there was a beginning. There was a beginning. So any talk out there about there never was a beginning, everything's eternal, never... No, there was a beginning, and, you know, as we, most of us know, or many of us know, there's actually a very ironclad theory now that all the data points to that, there, yeah, there was a beginning. But then it goes on to say what? The beginning was God created the heavens and the earth, right? So it starts with this creator who he creates the heavens and what? Earth. So heavens and earth are together in the first verse of the Bible, it was the intention of God that heaven and earth would be connected. Not separate, but connected. So these intertwined realities, though, found their nexus. They found their place of connection in whom? Adam. So in Genesis 1, verse 26, it said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, so it covers all humanity. He created them. In verse 28, and God blessed them. And what did he say? He said, be fruitful multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have what? Dominion or rulership over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is what we are to be as human beings. We are to be in his image. Our image, our figure, our appearance, who we are is to be a reflection of him. That was his intention for humankind. And in humankind, because he gave rulership over the earth, human beings were that nexus point, that connection between heaven and earth. Our rulership under God's auspices was to reflect God into the world, and the sum of all his praises were to be reflected back by us to him. That was our job, and that was his intention. Look at uh, Psalm 8. Please. Verse 3. And this mirrors, these verses mirror Genesis 1. It says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, 
which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I mean, isn't that a, I mean, that's a good question. You look into the, the stars of the sky and you see the breadth of the universe. And we know so much more about that today than when this was written, right? I mean, it would have blown the mind of David if he understood really what we now know is common knowledge of the breadth and depth and the amazing nature of the universe. And you look into that and you can take the Carl Sagan point of view that we're just dust. We're nothing. Or you can ask God, well, what, wait a minute. Who are we in this great expanse? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. That word is Elohim, which means God. And in and, and all of the, the manuscripts, it is Elohim. You have made him a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor. Next verse. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. That's rulership. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the seas. Does sound familiar? Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Heaven and earth were to be together. Human beings made a little lower than God were to be that nexus, that contact point where God could dwell on earth with people. That was the intention. That was who we were to be. That was the story. But we all know the next part of this story, right? It didn't pan out at all. The image bearers decided to go their own way. And they said, not your will, God, but ours. Okay, and we could go into a lot of reasons why this happened. It wasn't like they just one day woke up and said, you know, forget God. There, there's a whole process that happened here. But at the end of the day, they decided that they would go their own way. And they ceased being the connection of heaven and earth, and they became only of the earth. And what happened to that connection between heaven and earth? Well, it was severed. And there was a flaming sword. And I mean, there, there's no way back for humankind now. The fall was catastrophic in this story that God had started because it was never to be that way. So now there's a separation between the earth and heaven. And meanwhile, human beings became disfigured not in the image of God totally anymore, but rather in the image of their own making. They were simply shadows of their former selves. And the earth, the earth lost its God-given ruler. I mean, the, the rulership and the dominion that was to rule for God, for good, and reflect praises back to God, gone. And in its place, what? Someone who has no intention of giving God any glory or any praise whatsoever, and who now starts to rule the earth, the earth itself, and human beings in his image, which is the archenemy of God. The earth, it says in Romans 8 that the earth groans and travails, waiting for what? What's the earth waiting for? The manifestation, the appearance, again, of the sons of God. It's waiting for its appropriate rulers to return. And until that time, it's groaning and travailing. But it wants, once again, human beings who will rule for the good. And that's the restitution of all things that God has talked about and promised. 
and that is our hope. Hope is, it's called the anchor of our soul, but I think most relevant or significant to me is in Ephesians, the very first prayer, the very first ask is that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened that we would know what? The hope of our calling. Our calling is what we're talking about. This vocation that we started, that God intended for us to rule for him, to rule for the good, to have dominion and to reflect back praise and thanksgiving to him, that was our calling. And that is our hope that once again, we will stand at the nexus of heaven and earth and we will have that role and that responsibility. Our journey as his heroes under the guidance of the Holy Spirit is to get us there. And it's something that God prays that our heart would be enlightened, the eyes of our heart, that we would, we would know this deep in our soul. And that's the story. We are not shadows of our former selves right now. We are shadows of our future selves, which is a much better thing. And once again, we do look forward to the day when we will stand at that juncture of heaven and earth and we will have dominion, rulership, responsibility, just like he had planned for Adam and Eve to go subdue the earth. We will have responsibility as well, but we will be part of a heaven and earth connected and the glory of God will cover the earth like the water covers the seas. That is our hope. It's not some ethereal going someplace we can't imagine, can't know, can't possibly conceive. We can actually glimpse the beauty of what we're going to because God has still retained it in his original creation, just like he has in every human being. You, you, you can think about this and you can see it every day. You can watch a movie and you can watch two people who truly love each other and are in the midst of bad circumstances and then there's a good ending and it's a tr- if it's a true story, it's particularly pointed to us and we just love that because what we're seeing is a little glimpse, a little image of what God embedded in every human being, right? But it's disfigured. It needs to be saved. And so is the earth, but we can still see it. You can stand and see a a sunrise or a sunset over the ocean or over the mountains, and it thrills our hearts because we're seeing a little bit of what God intended. And so we can kind of project and imagine what's it like when it's been all set right again. And that's our hope. Now, what's interesting about, you know, where does Jesus Christ come in? Well, (laughs) yeah, kind of pivotal, Uh, really important. We're not going to get into that today. I would love to, but just suffice it to say, one of the most striking things about Jesus Christ and where he fits in this narrative is his bodily resurrection from the dead. His bodily resurrection from the dead. And that we have to think about this, really important. Um, Because what God did in that moment when he gave him a new physical body, and remember when he was in the room with his disciples and they said, wow, is it a ghost or whatever? He said, touch me. Does a ghost have flesh and blood? No. What what did he have? Go figure. This new body is a physical body. It's not some ethereal disembodied spirit floating around with a harp and wings and weird things and clouds. He's, he was there. He ate with them. He spent time with them. Now, was he different? Yeah. His, his new body was marvelous. 
and it's what we have to look forward to. That, too, is our hope. Now, since this is our destiny, since our destiny is to, again, be people who rule for good, who have dominion, and who project God's love into the world, that's our destiny. We will do that. Now is the time to start. What God has called us to do today is not wait for that. And just simply say, well, I'm going to somehow stumble through life and, you know, one day I'm up and out of here and screw the world and we're gone anyway. So I don't really care what is happening down here. It's all a bunch of BS anyway, right? It's just lost. It's just fallen. And if you're not born again, what difference? I mean, you know, who cares? No, we are supposed to be rulers, in fact, priests on behalf of God right now. We are to represent him right now to the earth and to people. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not an EPA member or uh, whatever. I mean, I'm actually talking about believers taking pride and ownership and rulership on behalf of God because the earth is still the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And that, of course, the portion is his people. And so this is where we want to have a character that matches our calling, right? And that is something we have, we have to be intentional about that. That doesn't come, as we all know, we painfully know this, that doesn't come with a new birth. It do, you know, wouldn't it have been great if he said, yeah, pff, new character? Except for the fact he would sever what he has honored from the beginning, which is a free will decision, because only that allows for love. It has to be something coming from my heart to him, to you, amongst ourselves. And so it absolutely is imperative that we have that free will to do whatever we want to do, right? And Adam and Eve exercised it in the wrong way, but we've all still had it, and we still have it. And so how important is it for us to intentionally exercise that will now as we prepare and take the journey knowing that one day, we are going to continue to exercise that will on God's behalf, but in new bodies and in a restored earth and heaven wherein dwells righteousness. And so today we, we practice that, and that's our calling. We are called to allow God to form in us the character of Christ. You can't do this through following a set of ethical rules. Uh, if you've ever tried that, you know that's not too effective. It also doesn't work to take the position that since I have the Spirit of Christ in me and he's Lord, he's simply going to, I'm going to just let him direct my steps. I'm, he's just going to, I mean, you know, if he wants me to do something, he's going to, he, he'll take me there. No, that's not how, it didn't really work that way when he was on earth, did it? I mean, his disciples had their own thoughts at times and they had interesting moments with him and we do too. We have to be intentional. And it isn't going to be done. We're not going to achieve this through a legalistic approach, or nor are we going to achieve it through some just, we're going to wait on the Lord all the time. We have, we have to be intentional about it. And we, you know, we are impossibly, um, we're, we're going to fail at this. It's impossible to do this if it isn't by grace through faith. Because grace is what gives us the ability to do what we otherwise can't do on our own. Grace is not just divine favor. Oh, you know, give me grace, brother, I'm 10 minutes late. Grace is God's ability working in a humble heart 
to allow that person to do the things that they are called to do that they otherwise can't do on their own. And it comes through what? Faith. Now, who is the one who has to determine faith in your... Who's the one who's going to choose to accept the word and the knowledge of God and make it their own? Me. It would be kind of cool if God would have just deposited in me this miraculous acceptance every moment of the truth of his word, but he didn't. I know that for a fact. So that is what we are called to do. And you know what's interesting about this? Um, God designed the human body to help support this. A great example of this is London taxi drivers. Anybody ever been to London? If you've been to London, it's a mess in terms of the streets. It's an old, old city. There's no grid. There's, I mean, you get in a cab and say, take me to this address, and you're watching where you're going, and you're like, I, there's no way. I have no idea how to get back. And that could be in eight blocks, and you're like totally lost. The cab drivers in London, they're not quite like New York cab drivers. You know, they're a little different. They're actually professional. They have to go through a class and be trained, and they have to pass tests. Otherwise, you can't be a taxi driver in London. And basically what you have to do is take a map of London and memorize it. And then you have to practice it and practice it. So when you get into the streets and there's a traffic jam or there's a protest or there's a flooded street, you know the workarounds. You've taken the map of London and you've committed it to your head, so your brain, so much that now you, by second nature, know your way around London. And you, you don't get to be a taxi driver unless you've proven that. And they've done studies on London taxi drivers. Yes, they have. And they've done MRIs of their brains. And guess what? The part of their brains for, I think it's called the hippocampus, that part of your brain is what gives spatial recognition, okay? So that part of their brain is actually larger. It enlarges as they learn more and more. That happens to all of us. And this is why when you choose to take the map of God's word and the truth that God has given us and navigate your life, your journey through that, if you intentionally commit that to your mind and keep making the decisions, I know the right way to go and I'm going to go there, your brain changes. Isn't that remarkable? But then when you think about it, who designed your body, your soul, your spirit to work together? And it was a necessary thing because we were supposed to be sitting at the nexus of heaven and earth and have rulership over everything and navigate wisely on his behalf. It's still there. It's still possible. And that's where my mom comes in. First, let's go to Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I hope this verse might mean a little bit more now when you think about who we are to be. Presenting ourselves a living sacrifice is simply saying, I'm here for you, God, to be the person that you call me to be. And I'm here to do what you have called me to do. And when I do that, I need to do that in a certain way. I need to not be conformed to this world. That is a, and that's an intentional decision on my part. But be transformed by the renewal of my mind. Okay, now, 
This is where grace through faith comes in. Because transformation of your character is not going to happen on your own. You need grace through faith to affect this change. And God will do that. And it's even, it's so powerful that not only does it change your heart, which is your soul, which is that immaterial reality that every human being has, you know, that gives us choice and decision from which we live. It's the issues of our life. But it actually changes your physical brain to support that as you intentionally continue to choose to do that which God has shown you in his word and by revelation and what he's revealed to you. And by doing it, you prove, you test and you prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, and become better and better at discerning this. So the good news is the more we do this, the easier it gets. And that's supposed to be, that's true in any discipline, right? When Glenn started piano, he wasn't quite that good. But now you can sit down and you give him a sheet and you can play anything. But it wasn't always that way. He learned it. And that's how we ourselves learn things. We have to choose. We have to personally will. We have to be intentional to seek God's face and then to act on his behalf through grace. And this is where mom's story really comes in. The word to describe my mom and others like her, which hopefully we're in that number one day, is the word virtue. Uh, it's a wonderful word. And, you know, Aristotle talked about virtue. He, he wrote about the development of virtue, and he said it requires people to repeatedly choose to do the right thing. And the right thing he kind of classified as under four main categories, justice, wisdom, courage, and self-control. Those were the four what were called cardinal virtues. And if you know anything about my mom, those, she's got those down. She does. But it wasn't like she woke up one day and said, I think I'll be virtuous. You know, I've known my mom even longer than Donna and Glenn have known my mom. You know, I've had the, the joy and the privilege of watching my mom grow in her being an example. You know, and she wasn't always like this. She would tell you that. But she's, you know what? I've always known my mom to be a person who is just, who's courageous, who definitely seeks what's right, what's wise, and had self-control. She always had those things. But to become the woman that you all talked about and that you all know here in this room, it took her to be intentional, to use her free will and exercise it, to not be conformed to the world, but allow God to transform her character. And this is what it looks like. It's, this is what we are called to do, and that's our goal. And that's why my mom is such a phenomenal example, because it's a living example. And it's, it's way better than what Aristotle you know, thought would happen. He, you know, what he thought about, he thought of you, if you do this really well and you become like this virtuous person, and by the way, it was always men, he kind of excluded women, you're going to be a great statesman, you're going to be a great soldier, you're going to be a great philosopher, and you're going to have this pride in your heart that I'm a good, I'm good, I'm just good. You know, and that was your, kind of your gift, like you f- just you feel good. And you know how well that worked? I'll tell you how well it worked. They had to invite the Roman Empire to come into Greece so they would stop killing each other between the various cities in Greece where they were all trying to be so virtuous. They were killing each other so much, they invited the Roman Empire to come in for a while and put peace back in place, and of course the Romans liked it so much, they stayed. But it didn't really work 
because it wasn't by grace through faith, was it? But nonetheless, this, this powerful process um, has, has been seen you know, in spades in my mom. You can, you can, I've watched it, and it's, it's incredible. I had the honor last night at our birthday gathering for her to talk with her two best friends at Windermere. And this probably won't surprise you at all, but they're both 20-some years younger than mom, but she is their best friend. And these are two very um, wonderful Christians, longstanding. And what they said about mom is that she keeps us grounded. She is so wise. And when, when something's going on in our life and we say we should pray about it, your mom stops immediately and says, well, let's pray now. Let's do it. But that's because mom has intentionally, day after day after day, sought God's face. It's, a, it's, just, it's, it's a habit pattern of her heart now. And the transformation has been a beautiful thing. Mom chose to put off worldly things in favor of newness years ago, and she's continued to do it. And God has worked in the synapses of her brain and in her soul And so mom can offer counsel by her actions and by her words. And she can help us navigate through the complexity of not just London, but of life. That's because mom has a true map. You know, and I've known, mom and I've, you know, had the joy of talking many hours about God and his word and her heart for God's people, and I thought it's well expressed in these verses in Philippians 1. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it is my prayer, this is mom's prayer for all of us, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So one of the great things about mom's example is she lives in a senior community called Windermere. And the people in Windermere have long, you know, left their careers, many of them, most of them. And they're living lives so much more simple. And maybe in their minds, smaller in terms of the territory they cover or the dominion compared to what they used to have. And the truth and the reality is, is seen just so beautifully in my mom's life is it doesn't matter where you are. Your rulership has great reach, even in a place like Windermere. You know? And mom has been a tremendous example of someone who is the nexus of heaven and earth coming together. When she enters into a room, when she enters into a fellowship, I've seen it. Over that. I mean, she is highly regarded as a woman who carries with her heaven on earth. And that is what we are all supposed to do now and looking forward to doing even far better in the future. So we can join mom in this journey, and we can join mom beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as mom has done many, many times. That song, looking, you know, looking into the glory of his face, you know, and the, or the things of earth growing strangely dim. That is really, it captures mom's attitude 
And you ask why she's joyful. And, you know, when you're 93 years old, guess what? There's a lot of reasons you wake up every morning to be distracted, you know. Um, And you wouldn't know it because that joy has become part of who she is. It has been hardwired into her heart and soul by grace through faith. She is a virtuous woman, a la Proverbs 31, verse 26. A virtuous woman opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So, Mom, I would like you to come up. You can clap, for sure. And just... Just share your heart. I know you want to say thank you at least. Oh, yes, I want to say thank you very much. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my gosh, look at all my people. It's terrible. I, I am so moved by this. But I, do, I will tell you that I talk to God all the time. I mean, he's, he's right here and he's right here. And if they have a question about something, I just kind of say, well, what do you think, Father? I mean, and I get an answer. Sometimes it takes a little bit of doing, but I know that I'm living so close to him that I just feel like he's always there, and and why not? I mean, he loves us with all his heart. And he's given us all the, all the possibilities of being so great, so special. And he gave Christ as an example of how he loved everybody and never judged anybody. And that's what I try to do and hope to God I've shown it. But thank you, thank you, thank you for so many people here and so many wonderful memories. I'm I'm totally blessed. Thank you very much. Whew. Well, I'd like uh, Glenn and Jess to come up, and they're going to lead us in one more song. And after that, the Carter family is hosting a luncheon for all of us here which is a great blessing. It'll probably take about five minutes to get it out after we close. And we're going to bring a table out here, a round table out here, where Barbara can sit. So that everybody who wants to come up and say hi to Barbara can come and give her a hug and thank her for her life. So, I talked long enough for you to be up there behind me. All right.
Love you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, Barbara, for sharing your life with us. Please enjoy the fellowship. We love you. God bless you.